Well, good morning to you. It's really wonderful to be with you, and what a wonderful sense of worship then, uh, just really sort of enjoying and not really wanting it to end. Um, really good to be with you, friends. It's a wonderful church, lots of shared history over many, many years, and it's a joy to just be together in these difficult times. It's also good to remind ourselves that we are a relational movement. Uh, even meeting Mick Taylor, who's with us this morning in the back of the hall, it's, it's so good to see friends and to know we're about a great mission together. As I, as I was seeking God to prepare for today and thinking, what does God want me to speak on? I'm going to do something that I've never done before, so it's a bit risky. I'm going to sort of preach a little bit prophetically out of a text in the Old Testament. So I'd really like you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want you to be ready in the spirit just to think about what God wants of you. I believe the church of Jesus Christ in the West is at a crossroads. I've been at in London for quite a few years, I was at a, a massive leaders conference recently and uh, they were just talking about where the church finds itself today and that there's many Christians who are standing at the crossroads and thinking we want, we want to go back, we want to go back to business as usual, we want to go back to as it was, we're, we've lost friends, we've lost momentum, we, we, the good old days, we want to go back to the good old days. But there's also a, a, a group that are saying no, no, surely... There's something more that God wants us to experience out there. And we must be people who follow the Spirit. We must be people who are going to trust God and go into the unknown, believing God for a different future, a preferable future. And this story, I believe, can speak to all of our hearts wherever we find ourselves this morning um, as we look at it. And what I'm, rather than read the whole passage, we'll read each part with each port portion of challenge I want to bring. And the first is this. We need to be convinced about the importance of human history. This is an event that actually happened about a thousand years BC. Verse 1 of chapter 30, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, they had taken, they had attacked Ziklag and burnt it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. A historical event. David was a real person. He lived like you and I lived. If we had a time machine and went back, we could locate him and just follow his story. We're, we're entering into the story here where David is in some very difficult times. He's in lockdown. Just a few years previously, it was David the shepherd boy who arrives on a battlefield and takes down a giant with a stone and a sling. It is David who is exalted and honored and put into Saul's army and someone who learns to bend a bow of bronze and to fight battles and to have reputational songs sung about him. It's this same David who the king turned against and ran into exile, into lockdown. It's this David who is now returning from the Philistine camp to find that his home, all that he treasured, is in tatters. 
it's very important for all of us to realize our faith is rooted into history. It's not a super spiritual faith that's all namby-pamby living in clouds. It's rooted, our faith is rooted in history. And we look back at a story like this, remembering the God that David found is the same God that we must find in our history. When we read, as we will do over Christmas, the opening verses in Matthew's gospel, we are reminded by Matthew that the lineage of Jesus goes back to King David. Jesus was a real person who lived in real time, in real history. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, a first import, I want you to know, a first importance that Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was risen from the grave. It's a historical faith rooted in history. And when we go through these difficult times, it's very important for us to realize we worship a God of history. It is his story. And all through the Bible, we can trace his fingerprints at the hand of God, leading his people, protecting his people, guiding his people. And we have been born... City Church Bristol for such a time as this. There's no accident you and I are living in this time of history. And God is the God of history. God will lead us and guide us and show us what to do. The second thing, I, very important we see here, is the importance of suffering. This is not a popular concept, but it's an important one for us all. When David and his men reached Ziklag, verse 3, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, uh, Ahinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed because men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. It's not a good scene, is it? David's come home, house burnt to the ground, his scrolls, his psalms, his poems into the dust, no food, no toilet roll, no energy, depression, fear, anxiety. It was a really difficult moment in the life of David. We're living in very similar times. These are difficult, difficult days. For the world, but actually for the church. We know 5.2 million people have died from COVID worldwide, and that's creeping up to 150,000 in the UK. We know that there are over 300,000 people, people who are homeless, living on our streets. We, Heather and I meet them regularly in London. We know a younger generation in London is campaigning and out on the streets because they're fearful for our future. We know that... 470 billion one-use plastic bottles are produced every year and our oceans are getting polluted. The earth is getting warmer. There's anxiety and fear. There's war. There's displacement of people. Uh, 23,000 migrants so far have made their way across the English Channel in hope of finding safety and security, family and a better life. We're living in a time of great anxiety, great phobias, great distress, great mental health challenges, and that affects everybody in the church. 
I was strengthened reading 1 Peter 1, 6, where he said, you may have to suffer, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine. I wanted to remind you as you go through your suffering, we follow, and just hearing the words of that hymn this morning, we follow a God who is familiar with suffering. He is the suffering servant. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown. We follow the suffering servant, the one who knew what popularity was, the one who was despised and rejected, betrayed, the one who hung upon a cross naked and was mocked by this world. We follow the one who understands our frailty, our humanity, and gives grace in times of trouble. We need to build communities build churches which understand that suffering is part of our faith. Job said, yet I know the way that he knows the way that I take and when he's tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I want to encourage everyone in this place and I'm sure it affects nearly everybody who's going through a trial at the moment, who's wondering what's God doing in my life? What's God doing in, the, in, these, in these terrible times? I want you to understand he's the God of history. He's working out his plan. But in the suffering, he's bringing forth gold in believers' life. As we learn to trust him, as we learn to follow the suffering servant, so we will see God's pure gold in this church and in our lives. Thirdly, the importance of finding strength in God. That verse 6 is so important. David didn't roll over and play dead. David found strength in the Lord his God. When we go through difficulties, it's often those who are closest to us that cause us the most pain. It's often the ones that we're married to or our family or our close friends or our leadership teams whoever they might be who talk about this is the end this is the end of the road we're going to separate we're going to divorce we're going to leave David had led 600 men he'd gone through battle after battle he'd marched for three whole days he was exhausted He'd come back and found his home gone, his wives gone, everything destroyed. And to add to that, he's now have, hearing his men meeting in a group, a deacon's meeting perhaps, going, tell you what, let's, let's kill him. <laughs> David, what do you do at that moment? What do you do in that moment? Every one of you who's involved in leadership, men and women involved in leadership, what do you do with your group, your team, just as you're coming to try and push forward and, 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 and grab hold of people in a post-COVID sort of lockdown world and everyone's going, nah, I'm not really up for it. In fact, we're not even sure you made, made cut out for this. We're going to do away with you. David found strength in the Lord his God. You remember Jesus leading his disciples into kingdom battle through storms in great miraculous feeding. Jesus would often take time out to strengthen himself in God. And we know that the, 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 
the crux of the whole salvation story on that mount as Jesus goes before his father as he's done for eternity past and in that horror moment my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus knows what it is to be forsaken to be completely and utterly alone and he went to that place that utterly alone place so that you and I need never face that for ourselves need never face the forsakenness of almighty God because of Jesus because of our faith in Jesus God is there present for all eternity for our salvation for us he was forsaken so that we God's children will never be forsaken he was judged that we might never be condemned he died a brutal death so that we might taste eternal life that's why Paul in Philippians talking about the divine blueprint finishes by saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose how do you find strength in God in these times there's no switch you can switch on there's no uh, Holy Spirit electric socket you can stick your life into when you're feeling you're suffering you're going through trials and tribulations this is the age-old disciplines that will root us back and where we'll find grace and sustenance in times like this times where we set aside we get up in the morning perhaps it is and 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 just cry out to God to pour out our hearts to God we open the scriptures the Psalms have become alive to me in this last two years reading a psalm a day on my knees praying the psalm out as David and others would have prayed out these psalms declaring the goodness of God the sovereignty of God the power of God as well as all the emotions all the emotions we feel that angst we feel the anger we feel the confusion we feel the sadness we feel pouring that out to God knowing he hears he wants us to be real with him and as we're real with him he gives us grace in our time of trouble we need brothers and sisters to not live a superficial life live a, a, a faith which is a Sunday pick-me-up and the rest of the life we're just going to do no we need to be devoted they devoted themselves it says in the Acts to, to the doctrines to prayer to the breaking of bread to the fellowship they didn't give up meeting together these are means of grace for all of us make sure we're welcoming them with open arms not just taking them for granted but in these days at the crossroads they know we want to we understand the importance of why we need to gather as the church these are vital for our strengthening and our sustaining in these horrible difficult times the next thing I see in this passage is the importance of the prophetic then David said to Abiathar the priest the son of Ahimelech bring me the ephod this was a garment that was used by the priests. It had gold and uh, precious stones sewn into it. It was sort of the, the, the important garment that was the sort of in-between place between man and God, the, 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 the place to meet God and hear God. And Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party 
will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David, in a time of crisis, called for his good friend Abiathar, who was also the, the, the prophetic encounter of the, uh, for God, and the spokesperson for God, the prophetic voice of God. And, and, and David said, look, what do we do? We're in a crisis here. The church is in a crisis here. What do we do? Do we, do we stop? Do we stick? Do we twist? Do we go? Do we, do we go back? What, where do we go from here? And Abiathar listens to God and says, no, God says, go for it. Go after them. Because you will see a great victory. Can I remind us that we are a prophetic people? We are a prophetic movement. New Frontiers, Commission, we are where we are because we've listened to God through one another and heard God from one another, weighed what God's been saying, and we've chased after what God's been giving us. We haven't been those who have just said, well, we're just going to go through um, the motions. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament mission of Jesus in the book of Acts is clearly seen. They're leaning into the Spirit. Asking the Spirit, following the Spirit, going where the Spirit directs. Set apart for me uh, Saul and Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've committed. They, they were willing to give away their best people to a mission that they didn't know how it was going to work out when the church was flourishing because they believed the prophetic. We're in a movement which God has spoken that thousands of lives will be transformed. We're, we're believing God for thousands of people to be saved and baptized and added to his church through hundreds of churches being planted and adopted in, in, in tens of nations all over the world. I had an email from a pastor this week who said to me that uh, a prophetic word I'd shared two years ago uh, when I was speaking like this on a Sunday morning had caused that church to begin a journey whereby now they are just about to adopt another church in that city, a brand new congregation. They said that word in, inspired us to pursue this. They, they took the prophetic, they weighed it, and they pursued it. What's God saying to this church? What's God saying to you, City Church? I'll tell you this, and this isn't prophetic, God has many people in this city for you to see saved. God has many people. The reason you've got these sites, this wonderful work with the poor, is because God wants to fill your nets with fish. And you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. God has many, many people in this city. And so lower your nets. This is a time, City Church, to go fishing. This is prophetic. This is a time when you're going to send out boats into the storm and you're going to tell them to let down their nets and it's often going to be on the other side of the boat, not the ones that you've fished already, but the other side of the city and you will see huge shoals of fish, fish like you've never seen before, different species that you say, well, I never ever caught cod, we've never ever seen bream. You will see them because the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing you for the future. The importance, nextly, of rest. This is really, really important. David came to Brook Bessel, uh, where some men stayed behind. 200 of them, in fact, were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued in the pursuit. 
really, really important point. Can I encourage you to rest? David had his SAS with him. These were men who fought battles and run miles. And here they were, 200 of them, saying, we're exhausted. David didn't say, well, you're not part of me then. They didn't say, how can you be exhausted? You absolute failures. Look at the 400. Keep up with them. No, David said, no, rest is important. Stay here with the baggage. We'll carry on. Jesus, in the midst of success, with the crowds pressing around him, with popularity, took time out to climb a mountain and be with his father. In these days in which we're living, when we've known, because it's been imposed on us, lockdown being back at home and maybe a more simply, simple lifestyle. Let's not lose that as we look to God for the future. Let us be reminded that rest is part of our DNA. It's part of what God has assigned for us to enjoy. I say that because in London, we are so proud of our busyness. Everybody's busy and rushing and always trying to get back and trying to climb that that pole and greasy pole and be the best, the fastest. But we are a people who know what it is to enter into Sabbath rest of God. Where we say we're not going to look at what everybody else is doing, other churches are doing. Oh, they're all doing that. Well, we need to get back and do that. Oh, they just started. Well, we need to start that. No, no. Follow the Holy Spirit. Lean into rest. Lean into the refreshment that God can give us in these times. He says in Psalm 23, verse 2, He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I think we've been made to lie down. Let's not lose that. In our eagerness to see church and the future and people saved and ministries launched, let us not lose this important thing of rest. Get slower, go slower, deliberately, take a longer route. And then, nextly, the importance of the one. They met, in verse 11, an Egyptian in a field, brought him to David, gave him water, drink, food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs, two cakes of raisins. He ate, was revived. He'd not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David asked him, who do you belong to and where do you come from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My masters abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev. And David asked him, can you lead me down to the raiding party? This story hangs on the one. It's the one that unlocks the victory. David has got these men, they're in the middle of the desert. If you look where Brook where Brook Bessor and everything else, they're probably getting absolutely exhausted. They're meeting an Egyptian, a slave, an outcast, an alien, a foreigner. They could have killed him. They could have run past him. They could have ignored him. But the, the, they stopped and, and, and they listened and they gave him grace. You see, what we see here in David is so instructive for how we live our lives. 
the grace that David had received from Almighty God when he sinned and fell short with murder and adultery and cried out, have mercy on me. The grace that David received, he lived in that free expression to give it to others. So this guy deserves nothing and he gets everything from David. He gets food, he gets um, water, he gets refreshment, he gets put back together again and treated with kindness. And by that very means of reaching out to the poorest and the most helpless and the most needy, David finds a key for his future that unlocks his future and a great victory. This is another sort of prophetic feeling I feel for the church and this church. Our greatest victories will be found in caring for the ones. As you look after that homeless person, as you look after that that mum who's, who's got trouble with, with, maybe she's bringing up her kids or a, a sick grandma or what have you. As you look after, provide food. As you reach out to that student who's really struggling with mental health issues. As you start to care for the ones so God will give you the many. We need, brothers and sisters, at a time like this to have our eyes wide open to what God is doing. And it often isn't in the crowd, in the big, in the platform. It's often in that one encounter, that one little person who is so overlooked by society that breakthrough comes for ourselves and for them. I thank God that you're sending out one couple over to Lester, Jamie and Debbie. One couple willing to leave the beauty and the safety and security of Bristol and go out and plant a church. It only takes one. That's why Jesus, when he he, he tells in Luke 15 the parables of the son and the coin and the sheep, he's talking about the one leaving 99 sheep to go after one. That's our God. That's his people. We do not sit in our comfort and say, hey, we've got it all. We're doing all right. I don't really care about those people crossing the channel. I don't care about those people who live on the streets. No, we are those people who care for them. Because the grace we've received, we want to give to them. I sit on the streets of London and have done in the last week talking to homeless people. It's only when you sit and you listen to their stories that you yourself start to understand something of the goodness and grace and mercy of Almighty God in, your, in our lives. One is important. So let me finish. Because this ends up in an enormous victory. Not, do they, not only do they get all the wives, kids, and everything else back, they get plunder. They get tons and tons of plunder. And the interesting thing is, in these verses, I won't read them all because we haven't got time. He took, verse 20, he took all the flocks, herds, his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's plunder. When they came to the 200 men who were too exhausted, who had been left behind at Bessel Valley, they came out to meet him. But the evil men and troublemakers said, because they didn't go with us, we're not going to share the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. Here is the amazing revelation. There is no tier system in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no us and them. There's no the good guys and the bad guys. There's none of the shirkers and the slackers who rested and the rest of us who did the battle. It's a great Bible study for you to do this week. Whose plunder was it? 
Just you look how many times plunder is mentioned in this text. It's quite interesting because it moves from David's plunder to our plunder to God's plunder. It's all God's. So as we look to the future, church, as we stand at the crossroads, I want to, I want to encourage you to believe God for hundreds and hundreds of people to be saved in Bristol. Many more people, many more ministries, many more leaders to be raised up. And some of those from the poorest of the poor, the most helpless cases today, that's where you're going to find God's grace, God's sustenance, God's blessing as you go after those things. And I want to encourage you to have eyes to see that. Going after the young, going after the children, going after the poor person. That's where you're going to find God, and that's where you're going to find huge blessing. And I believe God would want to say to you this morning, he is going to bless his church in this nation. This church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. It's the hope for this nation. But we are a community of grace. And this is how the world will know us and understand us. By this will all men know you are my disciples, Jesus said, because you love one another. As W.H. Auden says, we must love one another or die. That's what marks us apart. A community of love, a community of grace that not only enjoys being together, but passes that freely we've received and now freely we can give. So why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I love this church, but I know you love it more. I know, Father, that you want to bless this church. And so I pray these words from Scripture, these words of mine would find good soil in the hearts of every one of us. What is important, what isn't important, I pray you'd help us to see that. And I pray, Lord, that the years ahead of this church would be its best years. I pray, Lord, what has been water would be turned into wine. These two years of hardship would be turned into the wine of your kingdom. And I pray for amazing blessing. I pray, Lord, for so much plunder to be rescued from and pulled from the enemy's domain into the kingdom of light. So I pray this church would know the love of Almighty God today and would follow after the Spirit wholeheartedly. And Lord, bless the leaders as they try and attempt in their best efforts to lead this church into your great purposes. Give them great courage and faith, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James.